The TSW Roundtable is a proud member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Follow at SW Commonwealth on Twitter and take your first steps into a larger world. Hello there. You want the bad news? Roger, Roger. The Force. It's calling to you. This is not going to go the way you think. Now you will experience the full power of the dark side. That's not how the Force works. I need someone to show me my place in all this. This is madness. Let the past die. Kill it. It's a trap! Fulfill your destiny. No! Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the TSW Roundtable. Once again, I am your moderator, Robert Cast, and we have a very special part two in our retrospective look at all these Star Wars movies. And, of course, part two means episode two, Attack of the Clones. But I'm not alone. Today, I have a few special guests that join me to, uh, to discuss this I would say the more, one of the more divisive Star Wars movies. Well, until last December, you know, so. But we're not. We'll get into that later on when we get up to uh, episode eight. So first, uh, I'd like to introduce all the way from uh, New Mexico of the USSA, USSA, USA, USSA. <laughs> Ash from the Skyhoppers podcast. Hey, everybody. Hello, Ash. Oh, Welcome back to the so. roundtable. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good to be back. It's been a little bit. Yeah. Well, excited well, to get into it. Yes, and welcome. And and of course, you're going to be joined by my fellow North American. <laughs> this this may be another heavy Canadian show. Uh, all the way from Alberta, Tim from the Nerm Room. What's going on, guys? Hey, Tim. Uh, Tim and I, of course, do the TSW comics together. Yeah. So definitely. we're going to get into that. Yes, we're no strangers from each other on podcasts. But, but anyway, we're gonna, <laughs> I'm going to continue going, and I'm going to introduce another a very special friend of mine all the way from the east coast of Canada. Uh, say hi to Nathan. Hello. Welcome Tim, back. you and I are practically from the same province, Newfoundland and Alberta. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> more or less. There's just, I don't know, what, 3,000 kilometers in between? There seems to be a trend whenever I'm on here that I'm the only American. You know, and I don't mind it, but it's just, you know, an observation. Well, we don't, uh, we've had, well, actually the last retrospective, we had both Rogue Squadron pod, pod gentlemen on. We had uh, Mopar and Cody, and we had Rob Williams, and we covered, that was, it. We when we covered Phantom Menace, it was interesting because Rob Williams and I are similar in age. Cody and Mopar are 10 years younger, so we got to see kind of the echo, like what, what it was like, and, and their prequel trilogy was a lot like our ot trilogy so we got we had an interesting discussion so 2002 attack of the clones i'm gonna pass it around the table real quick i'm gonna ask everybody where they were and what they were doing and uh, how they saw the movie and maybe just a little story of how that went so first i'm gonna hand it off ladies first ash what were you doing in 2002 (laughs) i was eight years old okay i think I have very vivid memories of this day, though, because it was the first day that I was really exposed to Star Wars, and I I really started to enjoy it. Um, I was with my dad. My dad uh, was like, hey, kid, you want to go see a movie? Um, You like Star Wars, right? We've been showing it on the TV. So he took me to Star Wars, and I distinctly remember afterwards, we went and got ice cream, and then he said, okay, your aunt gave me a gift card to Toys R Us. So we're going to go, and we're going to get some of the toys that we had just seen in the movies. So I remember he got... Like he spent half the gift card and I spent half the gift card and we had, we had a great day. And I remember, I just remember falling in love with star Wars in that moment. So that's why, I, that's why I was really happy to come on for this episode. Cause attack of the clones, while it's not my favorite by any stretch of the imagination, it is the one that probably means the most to me. Cause it was the thing that got me into star Wars in the first place it, it, to like the level that I am today. So well, yeah, that's, that's where I was. That's awesome. And, and when you went forward, did you automatically just, okay, you were eight years old. So you were, you're at the, uh, at the mercy of, of what your parents are going to buy you or you mean, or you mean what your dad's mm-hmm. going to buy you at the time. So did you just jump into, did you immediately have to see Phantom Menace or did you, did you have a concept of, Oh, there's more. 
Yeah, so I knew there were more because my from the time I was like three, they were on my TV at home just because right. my dad likes Star Wars a lot. And uh, so, yeah, I had a concept of it. It didn't click, though, because I, I think there's something about seeing it in the theater as a kid. That's just this magical experience that can't be replicated seeing it at home. Um, and I, I did see Phantom Menace in the theaters. I was like six years old. I don't remember <laughs> it. Five or six years old. I can't remember hardly anything from it. Um, so yeah, but seeing it in the theater and seeing the lightsaber fights, I think Attack of the Clones is a good one to show an eight-year-old if you want to like mm-hmm. give them an introduction into the cool stuff that Star Wars has. Uh, I didn't really catch anything else. I had no idea like Padme and Anakin were supposed to be. A th- I didn't pick up on anything like that kind of context. I was just like, there's lightsabers and blasters and droids. I'm in. And then after that, I was like, I need to consume every Star Wars thing ever okay. and have every toy and have a toy lightsaber and stuff. So. That's awesome. All right, uh, I'm going to throw it to Nathan. Nathan, what were you doing in 2002? Well, I was watching Phantom Menace over and over and over and over. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually never saw any of the Star Wars movies before The Force Awakens in theater. Uh, when the prequels came out, uh, we lived in a small town hours from from any city with a, with a theater in it. So uh, I saw them all. I mean, I... You know, I grew up on the on the original trilogy, renting them from the video store. Like, you know, everybody knows the story. Of course. Uh, so I was always big into Star Wars. And then <clears throat> when the prequels came out, I got them on DVD. And it was sort of the thing where I kind of grew up with the original trilogy. So when the prequels started coming out, uh, it was that was sort of my star wars even though i had grown up with and seen the original original trilogy first uh the prequels were still my star wars uh in a way if 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 you know what i mean yeah of course that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense i have i have the first movies that i was really engaging actively engaging with right Right. the other ones were kind of just sort of there but these were the ones that i was seeking out you know yeah well that's i got a i have a 14 year old and and this this latest trilogy with the Force Awakens and and the Last Jedi. This is this is his trilogy. Right. You mean so? Yeah, it's it's almost it's generational. Almost like it's yeah. it's trickling down. So okay, so you did, did, when it came out to your local video store, were you able to to get it? Was it something you consumed right away? Was it like? Yeah, I, I think I think the behind the scenes features on those DVDs are what really what really did it for me because it was harder to get the behind the scenes stuff for the original trilogy back then. Yes. You know, it wasn't as readily available. It wasn't on YouTube like it is now. There was no YouTube. So, um, and, uh, behind, it was really that and the Lord of the Rings DVDs, those extended editions, uh, were the first time I really saw how movies were made. And it really added to the magic. For a lot of people find that that stuff can take away from the magic of a movie, but for me, it just added this whole new complexity to my fandom, and it uh, it really enriched it for me. So I think it was I think it was a benefit that I only saw those movies uh, on DVD because uh, it it kind of changed my fandom and turned it into something that's a little more unique from other people. Right. Some people would say it's. It's a worst kind. Of <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it, but it, it's understandable. Once you, if you love something, you want to know, you want to dissect it, you want to know everything about it, and yeah, and if it just it some for some people, if they see how the how the sausage is made, they're they're turned off. But for some people, they just, it just gives them an extra level of awesome. Half of what my fandom is, I think it's you know a big obviously a big part of it is the story and and the actual movies, the mythology of it, but a lot of it too is. That behind-the-scenes stuff that, you know, yep. that we still find out about now. We find out these little tidbits that we never knew before. And, you know, the Rinsler books and that kind of stuff. Like, that's that's half of it for me is why it's so enjoyable. Because there's so much, more than any other movie or franchise, I think, there's so much mythology in the behind-the-scenes. And even you even have to parse out uh, what's real and what's not, what's true and what's what's fake, you know? Yeah. that that part is interesting in itself and and on a on a dvd extra your tape that's now gospel so uh, ash yeah. you were gonna say something you're I, I was gonna say i'm the same way with dvd extras and stuff when i was a kid that was i i was really interested in filmmaking from like a really 
really young age. And those were the things that kind of gave me a look into what the process was like. And now I can't, I can't get enough of that stuff. That's why I buy Blu-rays. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Okay. Tim, what were you doing in 2002? Well, I, oh, so I, in 2002, I was 17. And so needless to say, my focus was somewhat elsewhere. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And, so I was 14 when, when The Phantom right Menace now. came out, and I was 12 when the special editions were released back into theater. So that was my first real experience. And I always like to refer to more, my generation or kind of that that age that when these films were coming out as the in-betweenical generation. <laughs> okay. And that's just purely referring that I didn't have a, a youth, so between, say, the ages of 6 and 10 or 6 and 12, really, 6 and 11, where there was new movies coming out. So the original trilogy for me resonated more, and that's where my attachment is. That's my first experience into Star Wars. And then the buildup and the hype to Phantom Menace was my first theater-going or true theater-going experience and kind of getting into that hype. But by the time Attack of the Clones came out, my focus in life had really shifted. I was, I'm a big collector. I collect action figures, everything associated with Star Wars. But Attack of the Clones is the only film I do not own a single action figure from. I went big time when I was 14 for Phantom Menace. And then when I came back around when I turned 20, when Revenge of the Sith came out, I got back into collecting. That's really when, again, I started getting back into Star Wars. So there's a kind of a, a dark times in my own personal history with Star Wars, and that was when Attack of the Clones came out. Now, I did see it in theaters, but my fandom really never went much beyond that. So my connection to Attack of the Clones, when you look back at all the films that have come out, is probably the smallest. I don't. I, it doesn't resonate as much with me on a nostalgic or a personal level as all of the other films do, because... For Star Wars, and I think for everyone, it's it's a very personal experience. You remember where you were, what you're doing, what you collected. And Attack of the Clones is somewhat removed from my memory because I didn't really get into it the same way I did every single other film. Well, it's it sounds like it hit that spot for you, though. Like, if you were 17, now, obviously, if you were 15, you're still, especially for, for men or young men, were a little bit we don't mature quite as quick as the ladies did. So at 15, you're still kind of into that. You know, I mean, you still yeah, got well, that. Phantom Menace was yeah, me. 14. Yeah. You still got kind that of kid. still. Yeah. And then, and then, but when, after that, anything that was cool is no longer cool. And you got this, it's yep. a huge, like, it's a huge dark period, especially for, you know, you're going to senior in high school, you got a lot going on. Then you start college and all of a sudden, once you're settled into just growing up and leaving your teens behind, it's like, oh, it sounds like you just, Oh, there's revenge of the Sith. Let's, yeah, jump back into it, it. You know, it's a really weird experience because, it, yeah, between I'd say with 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 at least in my life, between about sixteen and nineteen was when it's not cool to to like Star Wars, right. doing other things in life, and then when I turned twenty, I was kind of like, you know what, th- I like this stuff, and I'm just gonna own myself here, and I'm gonna embrace it. So even in <laughs> in university in my room, like I've always had a collection up. Like in Man. university, I had shelves with Revenge of the Sith a- action figures up. And but Clone Wars never was there for me. I still to this day, all I own from Attack of the Clones is the DVD. That was the first DVD I ever got of Star Wars. And that that's all I have from that film. And and it's it's weird because you look at my collection here, I've got something from everything. And so it that just it's just a weird point in my life when this film came out. And so it's that personal, like I said, that personal connection, that nostalgia just isn't there for me. So going back and rewatching this, I found myself not as engaged as I am with all the other films because I not have a lot to go back to as far as my memories of watching this. Right. Well, you know, I completely understand because I know um, my wife, she's seven years younger than me and she loves the X-Files and, and she knows I love, every, she knows I love everything sci-fi and, and you mean, except I can really get into a lot of things. And she goes, this is a show that you'd really love. I'm like, I did, it just missed me because when the X-Files came on, it was on at Friday night. Uh, at nine or ten o'clock, and I was in my twenties, and I was doing other stuff at Friday night at nine or ten o'clock. <laughs> you know I mean like so? It I know what you mean by timing. It's just one of those things that it doesn't sync up, so it just passes you by. Now in two thousand two, I was twenty nine. So <laughs> so we've been incrementally going up here, and yes, I I I, I saw it in theaters. 
I I was a, I was an OT fan. I again, I've been over this before, uh, but real briefly, I I saw the original Star Wars at the drive-in with my parents when I was like, did you? Oh yeah, when I was. <laughs> I've yeah. never heard this before. Yeah, this I know exactly. <laughs> so again, sorry Ben, if you're listening. Yes, I saw it in the theater. <laughs> I'm I am of the what I call the projected generation. So this was kind of I was heading back to it and I was like, okay, I saw Phantom Menace and it was, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then the time jump is what got me when I started watching it. I was like, okay, here we're gonna get into it. And I was just amazed by seeing this fresh face Hayden Christensen, and I'm like, that's gonna be Darth Vader? Like when when you saw when you saw a Phantom Menace, you're thinking, okay, that kid you know, any kid can become whatever because there's too much time in between. But then you're like, okay, I really want to see how this goes. Like, so I was invested just because I was I was in it for the long haul. Like, I didn't I didn't collect anything from it. I was I'm sure I saw it the first weekend it came out. But other than that, it was just oh great. Here's here's some nostalgia slash cool movie. And again, this was wasn't this the first movie that was uh, digitally. Uh, I don't I think so. With the, yeah. that was, I don't Completely. know if you can say film digitally all the way through. Like I believe it was shot on digital shot, cameras. Yeah. 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 So it, there was a lot of cool stuff that if you're, if you're into film, you mean, or again, it's not film, it's digital, but <laughs> you understand what I'm saying. So it was, it was, it was a milestone that way. So it was, uh, it, I thought it was pretty cool. So that's where I was. It was just one of those, oh, it's a new movie. That came out, and I have a little bit more invested in it because of Star Wars. But other than that, it was here we go. So, so okay, we're gonna pass around the table again. We're gonna. What are your thoughts overall on on this on this movie? Uh, What'd you take from it? What what can you relate to? What'd you like? What'd you you know? Let's again. I'm gonna start off with Ash. Attack of the Clones. What is your summary or, or what what it did for you? I have a little bit of a skewed perception, I think, because it is it is a movie that's pretty important to me. But as I've grown up, it pains me to say that I enjoy it every time or I enjoy I enjoy it less every time I watch it. So I don't watch it that often because um, I don't want to ruin the magic. <laughs> but uh, I enjoy it like I enjoy all of the prequels, but it is probably my least favorite of all of the Star Wars just stuff in general and Star Wars movies, TV shows, um, stuff like that. Um, I do enjoy it, though. I do get some enjoyment out of it, but I get. I can't. I still can't watch a lot of the Anakin and Padme stuff because it gives me just terrible secondhand embarrassment. Um, <laughs> uh, and there's just moments where I'm just like, we can skip this, you know. Like whenever I'm kind of going through it again. But there are moments in it that I absolutely love: the Genosis, um, uh, Coliseum fight, everything with Obi Wan Kenobi. Uh, lo- there's lots of stuff that I, I really enjoy. I love the, believe it or not, the political side of everything that happens in the prequels, including yeah. Attack of the Clones. Um, so yeah, so I, I do enjoy the movie, um, but it is definitely my least favorite Star Wars movie, and I have some problems with it for sure. But yeah. All right, uh, Nathan, uh, you're on this show. Are, are you? You're the defender of Attack of the Clones. From oh, listen, <laughs> I'm listening. It's the, the worst freaking one. It's the worst freaking one. <laughs> okay. There's no getting around it. Okay. okay. It's it's the worst Star Wars movie, but it's my freaking favorite. <laughs> oh, okay, explain. Well, a lot of it, like you know, it's one of those things where you can't really give an explanation for it, but I can try. Uh, for one thing, I think it's, I think it's the biggest. I think it's the biggest of all of them. It, I think it covers. It really gives you a sense of the scale of the galaxy and the and the scale of the conflict that they're about to get into and all that stuff. Um, I like that about it. Uh, I like the the noir aspect of it, and I know it's it's kind of you know under the surface there, but it is there, and I really enjoy that. The whole you know Obi Wan mystery plot, all that is great. Uh, but a lot of it, I think, is personal because I think it was around the time that 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 movie came out was when my brother kind of hit an age where we could kind of be into star Wars together for the first time. Like we had, you know, obviously always watched the movies together and stuff, but it was where he kind of hit an age where we could engage with it together. Uh, so I think, I think that has a lot to do with it. There's a lot of, I'm bringing a lot of personal baggage to it. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of that, but, 
I don't know. I I don't know that I can explain why because I, again, I recognize that it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I but, think some of that comes down to the, the personal aspect of Star Wars. Yeah, is definitely. that more so than any franchise? There seems to be a connection to a certain point in time and a certain film. So it seems like as you're explaining this, I feel the same way about other films. Is that you you connect to it on a very personal level, and you can you can look through some of the flaws of it just because it, it means something more to you. And I think a lot of Star Wars is like that. It's, it's a what it means to you. Because you can reflect on other movies and other franchises, and I don't think people, the fandom at least, has that same nostalgic, that same personal connection to the films that you do with Star Wars. So it sounds like it's a real personal thing for you. Yeah, like an example is that moment where uh, Obi-Wan is taking the tour of the Camino facility, the cloning facility, and they walk it into that balcony, and they see the phalanx of, of clone troopers, and you have that the Trade Federation march playing. Uh, it uh, That gives me chills. Even now, it gives me chills, because it's like, whoa, this is a lot bigger than those three movies that were made, you know, however many years it was prior. It's It's like, Oh, this is like 30 years before the events of A New Hope. And we're seeing how it, like, that gives me chills. And it's it's only a small moment in the movie. And I don't know if anybody else has that visceral experience, uh, visceral reaction to it. But for me, I, I get goosebumps when I watch that scene. So it's it's, it's just, like you said, it's it's a personal it's just a personal thing. Yeah, well, I, I think I know what you're saying. No, because it, 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 it's really given this galaxy far, far away, making it actually feel like a galaxy. It gives it scope. Yeah. It gives it yeah. like a, a like. Well, it gives it a history. Yeah, I think is what it is. What, right? And you're not just seeing one planet in the inside of a spaceship. Yes, yes. you're seeing a variety of things. You're seeing Coruscant. You're seeing Camino. You're seeing. I can't remember where else. Naboo. There we go. Sorry, I couldn't How remember. How could you forget Naboo? How could I forget Naboo? Um. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm gonna jump it over to Tim. Tim, what do you think? It like it's it's Attack of the Clones. Yeah, and you know some of it comes down to it's interesting hearing Nathan talk about that personal connection because I don't I don't have that with this film, and watching it now and it's hard because you know we do a lot of movie reviews reviews and film reviews over on the nerd room and that and so i find i have two different film watching experiences i have that that moment where i like to go sit and then i have that retrospective when i throw those goggles on and i'm looking into a movie trying to understand the plot in a bit more detail where they're going with character directions the overall arcs and narratives and all that and when i look back on this there are some very high points on this film i really really like obi-wan's arc i think it's great the stuff that, that you were talking about, Nathan, the scale and the scope of things, how they introduced the clone troopers and kind of starting to answer some of those bigger questions that we had from the original trilogy. It, it That aspect of it, what George Lucas was taking and starting to seed the ideas of Anakin's turn, of the clone troopers, how this whole Clone Wars actually works. That's something that we've been curious about for decades. And so I like that aspect of it, how he started answering questions. But then when you look at how the film is overall structured, it just doesn't flow the same way other Star Wars films do. They they there's a lot of really quick cuts between Anakin's story and Obi-Wan's story, and to me that that's just an editing thing. You can jam some of those scenes together and it would flow a lot better as a film. The other thing that really pulls me out of this is the CG. I don't know if it's because I was watching an older Blu-ray copy of it, but from the moment they get out on the platform with Amidala and that, you know that they're not on a physical set. You can see every little flaw right now. And it really, really started to bother me. And that's the first time I've really noticed that in a Star Wars film, at least in the prequels, that the CGI just doesn't hold up the same way it seems to with the practical effects, even from the original trilogy. So overall, I think there are some strong elements within Attack of the Clones, but it is weighed down by this perception of what we wanted it to be. Again, this comes down to Phantom Menace 2. We wanted, or maybe we should have gotten more of Anakin's at least turn in this film, which would have allowed us to have Revenge of the Sith, where you're not working up to it. I, I'm I'm kind of just spitballing here because there's a lot of things in this that I would change, and even things like leaving Maul around instead of having Count Dooku. And so there's there's oh, a no. lot of elements I think in this film that it, 
I don't want to, and I'm always going to be the Star Wars apologist because, and I'm always going to be light on it in a review because I do love the franchise. But when you do look back and step back, there are things, like I said, that are strong, but there's a lot that you could change here to give this maybe a bit more weight behind it. Because sometimes you feel like, okay, they answer a few questions here, but let's get to Revenge of the Sith. Yes. So it's, it's and another thing with me that I find with this movie is I'm, I feel like Clone Wars, the, the series, more accurately fills in those gaps with Anakin's character more effectively than this movie does. So I find myself just wanting to watch the Clone Wars as opposed to Attack of the Clones. And I think that was an overcorrection because it came out after the, the, the prequels did. Um, but it's interesting to, to hear you say that, that you don't think there's enough like stuff to chew on with, it, with some of the characters and things like that. Because I totally agree. Yeah, And I think that's what Clone Wars attempted to do and succeeded. But it's still like I do, you shouldn't be have to or you shouldn't have to watch a TV show to understand a character in a major well, yeah, blockbuster and, franchise, you know. And I think sometimes Star Wars in particular, it it's I agree that you shouldn't have required reading to make something retroactively better. But when you look at the Clone Wars, when you look at a book like Catalyst, to me, those retroactively make this film better because it fills in some of those gaps. When you start talking about the the Death Star and all that, and you go to Catalyst and you understand how they've inserted Krennic into the Clone Wars and what he was doing in the background with Pog of the Lesser and all that, there's a lot of work they've done post-Attack of the Clones to make this film fit better into that universe and give some of the smaller aspects a bit more weight and a bit more importance in the overall arc of the change of of to Vader from Anakin to Vader and the the rise of the Empire. So there, there's a lot of like you said, Ash. There's a lot that has gone into making this film better. But the film itself still, I think, relies on those other elements to give it a bit more of that prowess that maybe some of the other Star Wars films carry. Well, I can't tell you how many times I've heard from people just people complaining about Attack of the Clones, just saying, you know, I don't think it does enough for Anakin, and somebody going well you should watch the clone wars and i'm like that's six seasons of tv it yeah, should be it should be in the, yeah it should be in the movie you know yeah I, I, I totally agree if i can uh, attack of the clones for me this is this is this this is the movie that that this is why people tend to poo poo the prequels because they see a lot of the naboo scenes and anakin riding that little humpback thing and faking being hurt and they're falling in love but they have to squeeze in their entire love arc well, not Anakin's, because I know Hayden Christensen's performance, it gets a lot of criticism, but if you watch him and his angst and how it's like all-consuming for him is this this love for Padme, we can laugh at it, but I think if, if we were to look, if guys were to look at themselves in high school when they first had that, their real first, not crushes, but your first actual, oh, oh wow, I'm in love, it's just so... I was about to say, it's like every guy I dated in high school. Yeah, because it's, it's, <laughs> it's just... Rebel without, rebel without a cause, right? Exactly. It's just... And it's... Yeah, we... If you look back at yourself and were able to sit back and watch a two-hour movie of your first real love girlfriend, and you would cringe the entire time, the crap that would come out of your mouth would be <laughs> just... It would... I, I would hate... I'm glad, like, there was no internet or recording or cell phones back when I was... Because... There is no record of it, and it would be horrible. Like it's, so if I look at it through that understanding lens, especially he was in like, like practically uh, like a monastery for like his growing up, and the only interaction he had was with Padme when he was ten, and now he's he he carries this crush all the way through, and now this is it's just I, I get it. I, I I know people don't like it. I don't really sometimes. In the movie, I don't really like watching it, but I get it. So I understand what they were trying to convey there. Um, there's a lot of things like uh, the Yoda fight. I'm sure we'll all get into this. That for me, because when I saw Empire Strikes Back, I'm like, oh, who's what's this this troll? What's this thing? Oh my god, that's a Jedi Master! Oh wow, this is wow, this is incredible. And now, 22 troll years later, is incredibly accurate for Yoda. <laughs> yes, and, and now 22 years later, I'm seeing him finally watching this fight yes i know it's cartoonish and it's a little it's a it's it's different and his 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 saber style is completely unique but it was awesome like i actually rose in my seat going like oh i can't believe i'm watching this this is incredible like it's so a lot of things people don't like if i 
for me in a perspective lens, if I can just you mean focus the 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 periscope a little bit and look look at it it's i i get it but again i i can completely see why this is the one that people really poo poo you mean and and when episode nine comes out this could very well fall out of the top 10 star wars movies like on everybody's list (laughs) (laughs) i think it i think it also has the problem of being the one that has to like get the most exposition in your brain for the entire trilogy, because yes. it's like, because Phantom Menace could not set that up, because, you know, Phantom Menace is pretty much its own thing. It can it can be its own story without, yep. that can be, this is the story of how Darth Vader joined the Jedi Order or whatever. Attack of the Clones has to be like, okay, now this is how the Clone Wars was a thing, and this is how Anakin and Padme fell in love, and this is how this, and this is this, and this and this, blah, blah, blah. and there's so much stuff that they throw at you that it kind of suffers from just the exposition dump Yes, um, a lot of the time. Uh, I well, said the thing where... You know, people say that the story was too big for three movies, and I think that's true. And I think this movie suffers the most for it. Uh, it. It leaves you having to connect a lot of dots yourself. And for someone like me who doesn't mind going and looking for those answers, uh, you know, in books or comics or wherever, uh, that's fine because I'm going to seek those things out anyway. But for just a general audience or someone who's not as engaged with the expanded material, all those gaps are left empty and you kind of just got to shove whatever you can manage into those gaps to make a cohesive story work. Yeah. But but the one thing star Wars as, as a whole has, has going for it. It's the one it's, they're the only movies that if you go to the theater and don't like it, you're going to go again and like, (laughs) mate, this, I'm going to spend another 10 bucks, for the ticket plus 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 and and whoever's with me so i'm gonna have another 60 or 75 dollar evening on something i've already seen and didn't like but i have to really see this <laughs> i wouldn't do that with any other movie ever you know if i've I, done that with a couple of marvel movies i have to admit no, but <laughs> no i get your point you know what i mean so it has it has this I, I heard people you know when, a lot of, when the last jedi came out and people were not liking it and and i heard somebody say you I mean like I gotta go see it again? I can't. I just don't. Maybe I'm missing something, and and it's almost bewildering. It's like, wait a second, is there is there a possibility I don't like this? Like, if <laughs> I always say, like, okay, if Phantom Menace came out on its own and nobody knew anything about Star Wars and it was just called this Phantom Menace movie and nobody knew anything about it was just the first time we've ever seen anything from Star Wars, it would have been massive. It would have been mind blowing. It would have been it. It would have been heralded as the greatest movie of the century like so but because it's a star wars movie it gets wait whoa where's my millennium falcon where's my what's going on like what it suffers from the same thing we people talked a lot when the last jedi came out about how it it subverted expectations how a lot of people had the story in their head already about who ray's parents were who was Mm -hmm. snoke all this stuff phantom menace is that times 10 because this Mm -hmm. is the thing that everybody has been imagining in their brains since the 80s and you find out you found out who Darth Vader was and then suddenly the prequels come out and it's not what you would expect I don't think it's what a lot of people would expect in terms of Vader's origin story I can't speak to that because I was not old enough to you know like be speculating about it for 10 years or whatever but so it suffered a lot of the prequels I think a lot of the problem people have with the prequels is it suffers from that you know well, this isn't the Star Wars movie I wanted, and a lot of people were disappointed because of that. Yeah. Well, our that, own yeah. set expectations really exactly. hampers our ability to enjoy or fully embrace a film in particular. Headcanon is a big issue within <sighs> Star Wars fandom. Oh, tell me about it. Well, that that's why Force Awakens actually, I in my theory is it benefited from from people not liking Phantom Menace because everybody was so hyped. Star Wars is coming back. After it was dead, Lucas wasn't making it anymore. Disney bought it. We're getting this new movie. And everybody went into the theater so excited. And, oh, there's Han and Chewie in their home. And, I'm, oh, this is fantastic. And, and and there's this lightsaber. And it's got these things spitting out the side. And it looks sloppy. And, oh, I just can't wait. But everybody went in going, uh-uh, remember the prequels. <laughs> you know, like, so you had it lowered Everybody was so hyped for Force Awakens, but everybody went in kind of with this reservation of going, okay, don't get too excited. Just take it for what it was. And it really blew up because it's it, it was a perfect storm. You know what I mean? As far as exactly, setting, up yeah. a, I started setting up a movie. But back to Attack of the Clones. 
that's why we're here. But it's hard. It's hard to talk about Attack of the Clones and not put it in the big picture. You yeah, I mean it's definitely. hard to put? It's hard to go up to the to the Star Wars painting and put your nose against Naboo and and Attack of the Clones and be like, oh yeah, this is okay. This is this is interesting. This is no, we got to back up and take it. it. It's a piece of puzzle, and that's that's where it works best for for yeah. me. So, it totally does not stand on its own at all. Like <laughs> yeah, except well, that's what I mean. Like if you saw Phantom Menace without knowing anything about Star Wars, cool standalone movie. If you saw Attack of the Clones. Whew. You know, like, there's some cool stuff, but... Cypher Diaz who? Yeah, so, yeah. Cypher what? We'll, we need to get moment, to Cypher Diaz. Moment of silence for Cypher Diaz. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I just want to go quickly back to, to Anakin's arc here and more kind of the love story that's embedded in this film. Um, do you guys think we needed that in this film? Because looking back on it, again, with the retrospective goggles on, this film probably would have been better if they implied some sort of relationship between the two of them, but never really dug into the details of it. And it was more just of an Anakin Obi-Wan movie showing how Anakin became the Jedi that we do eventually see in Revenge of the Sith. Because if you look at the films themselves, we never spend a lot of time with Anakin doing anything to help us understand how powerful he is as a Jedi. There's a few things that get done in here, but for the most part, it's a lot of that that teenage angst and the the whole love story, his passion. And I like sometimes when they go through this, I know the, the dialogue's a bit choppy, a bit heavy, but I, I find that they are able to reflect this angsty human that doesn't really want to follow rules, that has issues with anger and really wants a bit more power. And there's some lines, really key lines in here about him never wanting to let another person he loves die referring to his mother and then this kind of foreshadows what happens in revenge of the Sith. so they do a lot there but i don't personally i don't think that whole love angle and padme and all, i don't think that's that's earned within this film because it seems to happen so quick because they want to get to the end of this film and have them be in love to me taking a step back and saying we can pick that up in revenge of the sith and just kind of have it in the background a bit more i like padme's presence in this film towards the end when she becomes less of a character that Anakin's pining over and more of this strong-willed woman woman that we we kind of see this reflection of Leia in when yep. she's out battling in Geonosis and all that. I really like that stuff, but this whole in-between thing, it's a big lull that's it's paced in the film parallel to Obi-Wan's arc to give the audience something while they're trying to build this Anakin and Padme thing. So that's where the choppy cutting as far as the editing comes in, it's done purely to keep you engaged while they're trying to tell a love story in the background. I would argue like, that it, I would argue that it's immensely important to the movie, though, because it it doesn't work unless Anakin has somebody that he loves, and you have to build up that relationship for Sith, because it can't be he can't be that concerned over Obi Wan, because it just I don't think it would make sense for the story, because Obi Wan's a Jedi, and you know his master, he can't be concerned that Obi Wan is going to die, but it's not going to be in the same kind of personal level that a romantic oh. relationship would be. And Padme's not a Jedi. Padme's just, a, I'm not going to say that. I said she's just a senator because she's not just a senator. But I think it's important that they build that relationship. However, how they do that is not great. I think there could have been things in Attack of the Clones to make that relationship a little bit more natural uh, and progress at a pace that makes sense. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I do think the relationship itself, having that romantic aspect in it, is important to the story, and I don't think Sith works without it. I, I totally agree. I, actually, if you took Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, and you stretched them out a little differently, now if you made Anakin's angst, and you, they needed those little things to help him turn. Now, if you left the death of his mother to Revenge of the Sith, but used how he wanted to go back and do more for slaves, not with just his mother, but around the galaxy. If he wanted to be more of a champion for these things, and if the Jedi said, no, we're peacekeepers, we don't get involved with planetary stuff, and then if he pushed away from the Jedi just from a personal, for, for a, more, you know, a more noble cause, right? And then as, as he's leaving, like if as he pushes away from the Jedi, he marries and hooks up with Padme out of spite almost. And like, yes, I'm putting that away. And then that becomes, so that way you can tie in how they're married. Padme, of course he want like he's the chosen one who wouldn't want to like Harry Potter got 
so much girls just on being the chosen one like so it you don't you don't have to hype that up too much right like i'm just would, imagining anakin walking into a bar being like stop ladies i'm the chosen yeah, one yeah, yeah. put out your death sticks for taylor leaving <laughs> no you understand <laughs> so sorry ash is losing it on the skype channel <laughs> so you know what I mean? Like, so if you made it a more noble cause and then had the death of his mother and then have him holding the Jedi responsible and have it be more like that and have his, uh, like, you don't, you don't have a Mary Padma, even her, you mean, even them having a, an affair be part of his confusion with the, with the Jedi order. Maybe, you know, like it's just a, it's just an idea, but maybe you wouldn't have so much of that angst where, and, and it just it's the turn might have been a little bit more easy to digest. I think the I'm thinking maybe the problem is just the speed at which that relationship progresses because they could have left it open ended at Attack of the Clones, saying we're just going to choose to be together and not yeah. get married. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think marriage is the thing that's like, well, okay, they're putting they're putting it down, they're getting married. You know, uh, and maybe well, they could have just been together in Sith, but I don't think I think maybe the reason they got married is because they didn't want to have to deal with having a, like two unmarried people having kids. In a mainstream Texas. movie, and yes, and, no, and they just didn't. They just probably didn't want to deal with the backlash. I've seen Rebels recently get a lot of backlash for that, and I'm just like, okay, but it... <laughs> I, I so I, I agree with with the idea that you do need that relationship building. But your your point about the pace of it, I think, is is quite accurate because you get to a point here where, to me, it doesn't it doesn't seem believable. Like they're asking you to buy into this, and I think it's it's maybe more so from Padme's side that you may have the pacing issues because she starts off the film saying, oh, I'll never see you anything other than this like 10-year-old boy on Tatooine. And then, you know, a week or two later, she's deeply in love. I get his attraction to her and his, how he's kind of penned this up for the length of time, that 10 years or whatever that he's been away from her. So that to me, that's the believable end of it. It's more on Padme's side that I struggle with because she goes from, I only see you as a 10 year old boy to let's, let's get married. I love you more than anything in this whole world. And they haven't had really any experiences together other than that roll around on Naboo. And so I agree. It's a bit more of the pacing of it. And I would have liked to see some of this maybe pushed into, into Sith rather than having, and maybe like you said, I should leave it a bit more open-ended. Hey, you know, there's something here. There's some chemistry by the end of this movie. We've been through this battle on Genosha. Like, we've had experiences together and then have a bit more of implied relationship building within the clone wars as you get to Sith and then have the big turn and him, whatever, you know, goes on in Sith and all that. So I think maybe drawing this out a bit further and not having it be one of the key focal points of the movie, because I, I agree that it's necessary, but I don't need, think it's necessary to be the key focal point of the whole film. I think there's a lot more that you could have done and built into this to because I'm, I'm still not fully on board with everything that Anakin does in here that gets me from, you know, the little boy in Tatooine to Vader. I, I'm still even in Sith. I don't know if they do enough to the point where you get to Rogue One where he is just, you know, and you look at some of the books too, the comics when he comes out of Revenge of the Sith, that he's just this, this murdering crazy man. Like <laughs> I, there's not, and they could have built some of that in here. And I think the scene with the sand people is a great seed to that, to show how he can just go off the deep end. Mm -hmm. But they needed more of that. Well, I think with them trying to force this, this, they're falling in love. They, I mean, they set them on the most romantic planet and the most romantic scenery. And she doesn't want to have anything to do with him, but let's go sit by the fire in this darkened room. Now, if I'm, a, I mean, like a 17, 19 year old, teenager with a with the the woman i've been pining over for 10 years and she we're sitting on a love seat in a in a little fire blazing and you know, i'm gonna get like uh, oh my goodness she likes me like you mean like you're not gonna be aggressive but you're gonna be like oh this is fantastic like <laughs> yeah that scene is problematic on a number of levels but pretty realistic i have to say <laughs> well i don't have any issues with with anakin like i think that that's all plausible it's from her side well, well yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. As a general rule, Padme got screwed over in the entirety of the of the prequels, except for yeah. a couple of different moments. Uh, they could have done way more with Padme. Um, and the relationship is the thing I think that fails the most because of that. Because I, I still don't get 
I, I do a show called Starships where we talk about like uh, romantic relationships in Star Wars. And the first one we did was Anakin Padme. And I, and while we were doing that episode, I was like, I do not, I don't get this. I don't get why Padme would be in love. No, and I've always not. made the joke. I've always made the joke that's like, why would she fall in love with a kid and not young, hot Ewan McGregor that's standing right there as well? <laughs> yeah, you know. Because that's where my brain. Well, that's go, just but... it. and that, and that's like that's like okay. Say okay, I'm over here, and Nathan, you happen to be coming by Ontario. You're coming over for a beer. I'm like, hey, yeah, come on down to my rec room. I dim the lights, light a fire, sit down on the love seat, and pat this cushion. Hey, you'd, be, you'd be like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> like, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, like, it just it's obvious. Like, it's just I blow my whistle frantically. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy no but you understand what i'm saying it, it, putting yeah. it in that perspective it sounds ridiculous right so why that's why when we watch it we're face palming going okay this she's is- also wearing like a skin t- okay a woman can wear whatever she wants of but course. that scene she's wearing like a skin tight black leather dress and it i don't know it's just sending some some signals i think i think the robot chicken parody does if anybody <laughs> hasn't seen it go look at it because you'll it it really puts it it, it through a through a different lens and it makes you yep yeah that's about it that's what's happening so all right okay well Nathan okay forget the love seat you're not coming over I'm a happily married man and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so okay we're gonna get back to uh, Attack of the Clones okay I'm gonna throw it to you um, Count Dooku right okay huge player in this movie now try to separate your brain and forget everything you know in in books or from legends and even after and uh, the clone wars just when he entered the movie and exited did he play did he fit was he the right puzzle piece did he fit the role did he did he make the movie like for what he was supposed to do i don't think the movie works without christopher lee um i was a huge fan from you know uh I got into the the Hammer horror movies and that kind of thing later, and uh, you know, Man with Golden Gun and all that stuff. But Lord of the Rings was the first time I really became aware of Christopher Lee, uh, so I was a big fan from those movies. Um, but I don't think the movie works unless you have someone of Lee's caliber playing that that leader of the Separatists, um, because you need you need someone who you believe people would follow. I mean, like like we said, it's only been 10 years, uh, but this whole resistance has, resistance to the Republic has built up in that 10 years and become this force that can oppose the standing government. Um, and you need someone leading that of Lee's caliber, um, somebody with authority and someone, you know, that voice is, you know, you can recognize that voice anywhere, um, but it's it's powerfully he's 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 a person and he plays a character that you believe that people would follow, uh, and you believe that he could rally this, that kind of support to build up this this uh, confederacy. Um, now, of course, that's that's that way because that's the way that George wrote it. But given that he did, uh, I think. Dooku's an incredibly important character and probably one of my favorites in the entire saga. Oh, nice. Excellent. So, uh, okay, well, we'll go around. I'll go back to Tim. Tim, uh, Dooku, uh, like I said, forgetting that we know how much, <laughs> and we know how much his character means in Revenge of the Sith because that really, that puts a pin in, in, in Anakin and that really, when he beheads Dooku, like that's, that's spoilers, but... <laughs> So that really, you I mean that really gives it that moment a lot more gravitas because because of everything he did in this movie. So what do you think? Uh, yeah, well, for me, I, I agree with you, Nathan. That that Christopher Lee, that that prowess that he does carry, gives the character a lot of weight. But my issue with Dooku is, and I'm trying to go back to remember the first time I watched this. There's there's not a lot of continuity of storytelling from Episode One into Attack of the Clones, and you look back at the original trilogy. You do have that continuum of character, but in the background, you also have the continuum of the main villain, the main antagonist. You have Vader through each episode within the original trilogy. And to me, having, and like you mentioned, Rob, having that continuity of storytelling is important as you go from Attack of the Clones to Revenge of the Sith. You see essentially a handoff 
of the apprenticeship from Dooku to more or less Anakin when he beheads him in front of in front of Palpatine there. And so I find that as you get into this, you're trying to reframe who the actual villain is rather than having that continuity of, say, a mall or something like that from the from episode one that give you that understanding immediately right away okay i know who the villain is i know what they're capable of he cut down qui-gon Jinn. now he's leading this resistance and then if you want to hand off that that villainy to dooku some point in the film i think maybe you could have done that but i feel that that dooku himself although he does carry the weight that you implied i think that the character seems like just it's it's a narrative piece to put in there to progress this overall idea of the separatists. I would have liked something that was a bit more continuous from episode one that linked those stories up a bit more, linked the idea of the Sith, because I found myself, even though I know the story in and out, I found myself constantly questioning, okay, he was a Jedi, was he the one that put in the order for the, the clone army, but now he's kind of a Sith, but doesn't... And so there's there's a lot of leaps i think they ask you to make that are, are are driven by pure exposition and i find it makes the film at least as far as the overall arc of dooku a bit shaky if you had to have someone in there that you already knew what this character was capable of what he could do you know him from a previous film i feel like it would have made the story feel a bit more holistic across episode one and episode two so for me dooku is is kind of an anomaly i i agree that you need him but i think if they had to use a different character I think it maybe would have landed a bit better for me. I, I think I think anything the flaws that you're mentioning are very obvious, but how I, I write them off in my headcanon is he's according to the movies, he's the first turned a Jedi. Obviously, like in in or in in uh, in order of of uh, chronological order, like so from we had episode one and then now you have episode two and then now okay, Dooku, a Jedi can be turned. So we know this from the OT, obviously, with Vader. And his eventual, not in this movie, but you see how powerful and how drunk of, with power they become. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm more powerful than you can ever imagine. You know, so uh, that, just seeing a Jedi turn or being the first example of it, that's what gives kind of rights a little of those wrongs or makes them livable. We also have the fact that he's, he's oh, sorry, Qui-Gon. he was Qui-Gon's master. Yeah. Yeah, right? exactly. you have that that aspect. So, and, and that's another thing I like about it. It's given me this kind of this endless supply of of, of this thing to think about. Uh, you know, he becomes disillusioned with the Jedi, and Qui Gon being killed by a Sith is the catalyst that finally makes him choose to leave. Uh, and then he's either approached by or approaches the Sith Lord <laughs> and joins him and then starts working against the Jedi. So it's it's kind of this weird psychological thing. And I mean, you can come up with different ways of explaining it. And, and I've come up with however, who knows how many yeah. different psychological ways to explain it. But uh, I think that carryover, uh, giving him that lineage and then when he has that conversation that awesome conversation with obi-wan when he's in the stasis field it's uh it feels almost like dooku almost feels like an estranged grandfather to to obi-wan and that they have this chemistry and and you're not quite sure why obi-wan you know has such a resentment for dooku we haven't seen them interact before this and we've had no mention of Dooku before this, obviously. Right. But right out of the gate, Obi-Wan, whether it's because he feels betrayed because Dooku left the Order, or if it's because he thinks that Dooku's responsible for some of Qui-Gon's flaws, or, or who knows what it is, but it, that's the thing. It gives you that carryover from Phantom Menace, I think. Yeah. And it gives you a lot to chew on there. And Mace Windu, oh sorry, Ash, yeah. I was just going to mention, but Mace Windu points it out right at the beginning. Oh, he was, he couldn't be responsible for this. He's a former Jedi. It's not in his. It's not. Yeah. Not who he is. So Ash Dooku. <laughs> I think, 
I agree. I think I agree with both Nathan and Tim here because I I get what Tim is saying about the continuity of storytelling because that is definitely a problem in the prequels. I think not having a consistent villain is a mistake. Um, you do with Palpatine, but it's not as no, it's not no. the guy with the lightsaber until Revenge of the Sith. Um, <clears throat> but I do like Dooku. But I think a lot of the reason I like Dooku is the Clone Wars. Because that's where I got a lot of my exposure to Dooku, where I think his character makes a lot more sense, especially that relationship with Asajj Ventress uh, later in those episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't – what you guys were saying about how, how you know there's stuff to chew on there, I don't necessarily think for the average moviegoer that they're going to pick up on that stuff. It took me a really long time sure. to figure out all this stuff until I was looking for it. So I think maybe maybe having him in The Phantom Menace yes, and having – Qui-Gon go to him for counsel or something like that. Having a couple of different scenes in there would have helped bridge that gap considerably because then you go, oh my gosh, that's Qui-Gon's master. And you can, and it makes sense because Qui-Gon died and was killed by a Sith. Or, or you could have a scene where, where the Jedi Council is talking, Duke who's on the Jedi Council and is saying the Sith could be a problem and they won't listen to him. And then his apprentice gets killed by a, by a Sith. And that could be the catalyst for leaving. So I think they definitely could have done more things to bridge the gap between the movies, but I do enjoy, I, I do enjoy Dooku's character. I think it's a pretty, I think it's a pretty solid character. I agree with pretty much everything Nathan said. I just think they might've been able to do a better job bridging the, the gaps. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think your, your point there, Ash, with having him in Phantom Menace probably would have went a long way. Like you said, if just even a few scenes of him sitting on the council and like you said, talking through, here's an issue, seeing that, that those seeds of disillusion that you do see in Qui-Gon even kind of embedded with, in kind of he's gotten that from his apprentice and then kind of the follow-on is this is trickling down into Anakin so I think that even a scene like that would have would have gone a long way because you can immediately say oh that there's a, that guy there's a relationship here where it's all in exposition and like you said even on this this last viewing I had here I'm still trying to like catch up okay he left under these pretenses but now he's a Sith but he's the leader of the separatists and you're trying to like link all of this kind of very intricate behind the scenes workings that the emperor is doing or the Palpatine's doing. And I'm finding I have to like, I have to step away and think about it for a second, even though I've seen this film, you know, however many dozens of times and I know this universe. So it's, it's just that I think that you, you may need him, but one way or another, you have to recontextualize that character to make it more of an important scene when he does start revealing that, you know, come join me, Obi-Wan. So it's it's a lot of maybe a bit more of showing Dooku and his relationship to Qui-Gon and how he becomes disillusions gives the, the character a bit more and maybe more importance in that overall story. Well, it could be really interesting when he's talking to him in Attack of the Clones, talking to Obi-Wan Kenobi, if, if you have that context— yeah. And, Ob- and Obi-Wan has that context. Like, the three of them maybe stood and had a conversation in The Phantom Menace. And that makes that conversation, he can be like, this is what Qui-Gon would have done. Mm-hmm. Or this is, you know, and he can throw that back in his face. Um, and it could be a great moment for Obi-Wan, being like, yeah. nope. Yeah, it's bye. so fascinating that Dooku loves Qui-Gon just as much as Obi-Wan or Anakin or anybody. Well, mm-hmm. like you said, Nathan, um, uh, Dooku is, uh, is Obi-Wan's Jedi grandfather. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, his, his master was his apprentice like so all right okay well we're gonna pass around the table just one more time and uh highlights um what recommendations what do you like just your overall thought really briefly what do you think nathan attack of the clones sum it up for everybody uh well like i said well the the beginning of the movie with the ship coming through the clouds on coruscant Mm -hmm. i love that it's it might be my favorite opening of any of the movies uh, again, don't know why, but <laughs> I love it. Um, like I said, that that shot of of Obi Wan in the balcony seeing the clones for the first time, chills. Uh, that scene of of Obi Wan and Dooku, the interrogation scene. This is so good, so good. Um, Shmi's death, man, that gets me. That gets me every time I watch that movie. That Pernilla August rocks. Um, well, yeah, it's, and, it's so brutal. Like it's oh yeah, it's it's so visceral. You feel her clinging to. <laughs> to it really freaked anyway. me out when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's brutal. And uh, what was the other thing? Oh, I can't remember. I'll I'll pipe up if I remember what it was. All right. <laughs> Cool. Okay, uh, I'm gonna pass it to Ash. Final thoughts on Attack of Clones, and try to keep 
the introduction of Bail Organa to under an hour. <laughs> well, I, you should be proud of me. I'm not bringing this up yes, until now. I just did. Yes. Go ahead. <laughs> I opened the door. Walk through. It does introduce the greatest character of all time, Bail Organa. Um, <laughs> I actually thought about that when I was coming in. I'm like, okay, I can't talk too long about Bail Organa when I come on the round table today because nobody cares. Um, <laughs> but no, it does. What I love about Attack of the Clones uh is it is every all the pieces to me feel like a Star Wars movie. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, flow as well as some of the other ones or is edited as well or whatever. But it's still a Star Wars movie. I still enjoy watching it. I still it still has the magic of of when I saw it when I was eight years old. Um and, and, and you know, it'll always be a movie that's immensely important to me for getting me into this universe in the first place. I wouldn't be sitting right here if it wasn't for Attack of the Clones, I think. Um and yeah, I just I, I think everybody should watch it. Uh, and if you haven't seen it in a long time, you sh- uh, you could re- you should revisit it because I think, like, l- like initially it's kind of a little bit of a shock, but after after a while you start to see what they were going for. Like uh, the relationship between Anakin and Padme is a thing that I hated when I was a kid, but now as an as an adult who's been through several awkward relationships, it actually makes more sense to me, you know, with that context. So yeah, so definitely definitely check it out if you haven't seen it in a while or if you haven't seen it. Period. It's it's I, I think it's a great time and in a in a really great Star Wars movie. Excellent. Okay, Tim, oh, what are you thinking? I remembered. I remembered. Oh, okay, Django Fett is Nate. better than Boba Fett. Don't at me. What's correct? That? Django Fett is better than Boba. Django Fett, Fett is me. better than Boba Fett. Yes. Okay. Correct. Yes. <laughs> okay, Tim. Final thoughts. Attack of the Clones. All right. So I I probably am probably have been the most negative on this this look back here on, on Attack of the Clones. And, you know, it's it's a movie that I think, in echoing kind of what Ash said, that you should watch. It's It does feel like a Star Wars film. I'd say my favorite part about this film is Obi-Wan's arc. I like what they do with Obi-Wan in this film. They, they show that, that widening gap between him and Anakin very well. His own narrative when he's off doing the things on Kamino, it's really great. The interaction, how they integrate Jango Fett into the story, I think really great as well. And showing what he's capable of is, is, is really well done in here, I think, from an Obi-Wan perspective. I would have liked to have seen Anakin teamed up with him through the majority of that arc and leave some of this relationship stuff to maybe be more implied. We've gone through this, but then getting to, to Genosha, I really love that stuff too. I think when all those lightsabers light up in the background is an absolutely brilliant scene. It It's the first time we're seeing this many Jedi battle with, and really kind of start off the Clone Wars here, something that we've been with our headcanon trying to put together for decades. So I really like that aspect of George Lucas went back to the original trilogy said, I want to answer these few questions in this film. And I think he does accomplish that. Yeah, it's clunky. Yeah. The CG doesn't really hold up, but at the end of the day, it's a Star Wars film that I think we should all watch and we should, should all take a little something from it. Like each Star Wars experience is different for each individual. I take a little less away from this than others might, but at the same time, I think there's some really brilliant stuff in here. And I think, for the universe and for the franchise itself, it's a necessary piece. It's a piece that needed to be there. Yeah, you could have done things differently, but overall, this film is it's it's good. It's not the best by any means. It's definitely on the bottom of my list, but you should you should go out there and get it. I think it, it brings enough to the table that it's worth a watch. It's worth a discussion. It sounds like your review of Justice League. It's a little clunky. <laughs> CGI is a little. You uh, mean just. <laughs> Hey, so, I was I was much nicer than that on that one than I. Yes, you were. You were. Oh, much how ni- could anybody be nice about Justice League? Ugh. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> Just relax. Relax. It's not. It's not I'm Batman kidding. v Superman. Let's. <laughs> Wasn't that bad? No. Oh boy. All I'm right. gonna make all the DC fans angry with me. Come at me. Okay. Um. <laughs> I've got them all piling on me right now. Yes. <laughs> Last two years in the nerd room. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, so my okay, I'm gonna just uh, finish this up. My final thoughts on this movie. Again, as a standalone, not so hot, but as part of the tapestry, the Star Wars tapestry, yes, absolute, of course. You, it's, it's, you have to, it's, watch it. Um, a lot of the George Lucas and his mirroring, um, how Boba Fett was and 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 Jango Fett were were tricked by Obi-Wan, by him, you mean by them hiding up behind the asteroid and everything else. He's seen tricks like this, so when Han does it later in Empire Strikes Back, we there's a lot of that, um, again, with with Jedi turning to the Sith. We see that later. There's, there's so many things we see in this movie that echo 
later, mm-hmm. not you I mean obviously not in the franchise, but when we when we rewatch the OT after watching the prequels, you see a lot of these. You see a lot of these payoffs, and like I said, in if you're watching the whole tapestry, yes, it's a definite. Is it again? It's near the bottom of my Star Wars list, and but uh, I believe there's an old saying about pizza and something else. There's no such thing as bad pizza. It's you know, I mean, it's still good. <laughs> You know, I mean, like it's it's it it it's it, it it's Star Wars, you know, and it's a Star Wars movie, and it, it's is it going to be? I mean, out of my is it might make my top fifty movies of all time. You know I mean, probably not. It's not going to be in my top ten again in a couple of years. It might not be in my top ten Star Wars movies, but you know, it is what it is, and it's definitely definitely necessary viewing. So. One more time, uh, I'll pass it around. Where can everybody find everybody? And where are you, any projects, anything you got to plug? Now is the time to do it. So uh, I'm going to throw it to Nathan first. Where can people find you on Twitter or if they want to chat more or invite you over to have a fire in, a, in, in, a, <laughs> you know, in, in, in some dark rec room? Where can people find Nathan? Send all solicitations to <laughs> at NAF Roberts on Twitter. Awesome. Okay. Uh, Ash, where can people find you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at AirSatsAsh. Uh, I'm also one of the hosts of the Skyhoppers podcast, and uh, which is on this wonderful network. And I also host Starships, which is a show that's all about shipping and romantic relationships in Star Wars. And you can find that at ClashingSabers.net or at ClashingSabers on Twitter. Cool. And also, too, can you uh, pass along a message to Ben and remind him that I saw New Hope on uh, in the theater? <laughs> I, and, I, I'm going to text him right now. And, and also, too, can you tell him I really love the Darth Plagueis novel? I think it's like one of the best Legends novels. <laughs> and, 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 and also uh, tell him I really love Ease. So <laughs> that's about it. I think that's it. Uh, Tim, uh, aside from TSW Comics with uh, your, your uh, very handsome co-host, where else can people find you? <laughs> uh, on Twitter, you can find me at the NerdRM. And I'm also a host of the NerdRM podcast, part of the Star Wars Commonwealth. Uh, we drop new episodes every single Thursday, and we're also doing an MCU retrospective series, which is quickly winding up as we get into Infinity War here. So we got Age of Ultron will drop this month as well, then we'll do Infinity War, and then we'll finish up with Ant-Man as we get into the back half of this year. But you can also find, I guess, some writing in that on the Stars Commonwealth uh, webpage, starscommonwealth.com, and also at thenerdroom.net. Awesome. Uh, first of all, uh, I'd like to uh, thank Tim because I blatantly ripped off the retrospective idea from his uh, Marvel MCU, and I, I told him flat out, this is a complete copyright ripoff, and I'm, I'm not hiding it in any way. And Tim was like, you know what, we're very busy on in the nerd room, so he was more than gracious and said, yes, please, let's go ahead and do the Star Wars. So thank Definitely. you, Tim. It's I a wonderful it. idea. It, it is a wonderful idea. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm, but I can't wait till he covers the DC universe. But anyway, I'm not getting it. I can't. It's coming. It's coming. Yes. <laughs> so uh, you could find myself at Robert MMCast on Twitter, and I do a weekly show with the Roman Podcast that comes out every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, and that's not Star Wars and not for kids. But if you're in for a laugh, you can come check us out over there. And uh, other than that, God, thank you everyone for joining me on the Attack of the Clones and. I know this is on. This is the last on a lot of everybody's lists, but we got through it, and now I get to do Revenge of the Sith. So this is really awesome. So thank you for uh, for helping me get over this 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 hump of a movie, and thank you again for being so positive. And I'm hopefully bringing a lot of insight to people that, and maybe send a lot of people back to their DVD players or Blu-ray players. Rewatch this movie and with what we've discussed, take it, you know, maybe look at it through a different lens and, and appreciate it a little bit more. So until next time, uh, we will see you around the round table.